0: There, I think regulation of some sort is going to be inevitable because there's just enough game companies out there that some, are, some of them are going to act more unethically than others. Uh, and I think I, I do agree that there's a perception that some companies behave, uh, th- th- there's this line that they shouldn't be crossing and that some people feel like they are crossing it. But what I do um, uh, think the government will do is at some point they're going to look at these mechanics and say, we have existing laws that might apply to this, gambling laws and we might start applying them to game companies. Or if the gambling laws don't quite work, let's come up with laws that actually stop this from happening.
1: recent Supreme Court case means that video games are kind of out of the woodwork in terms of being a protective medium in some respects. But it certainly does not stop video games from being regulated or challenged or scrutinized by the government in other respects. And I've long suspected that we may be headed towards a scenario where video games use the term addiction very lightly. It's put on the back of the box. It's a feature And in most other contexts, and you're going to see me repeat this point uh, later in this uh, interview, is seen as a negative thing. Addiction is not something to be necessarily pursued. And the reasons games got towards seeking addiction were from a good place and, and, and is not from something that is necessarily bad, but it has a bad connotation. And as we've seen the rise of social games and the psychological tricks that these games use in order to keep people playing, I think we might be going down a potentially dangerous path. And so I had the the pretty wonderful opportunity of sitting down with uh, Ryan Black, who is a video game lawyer from McMillan LLP, and uh, Dr. Tyler Black, who is actually his twin brother, who is a child and adolescent psychiatrist uh, at BC's Children's Hospital. Uh, they gave a, a talk at PAX where they explored a bunch of these different Uh, challenges facing games, uh, kind of from a a scientific and a legal perspective. And I also had a chance to sit down with them uh, a lot long after the panel. Uh, I unfortunately was not able to be at the panel itself uh, to talk through some of these issues and kind of see what's going to happen to games in the next couple of years or could potentially happen. And uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit scary, but it certainly seems like there are ways for the industry to avoid it if they want to. Uh, so I will go ahead and throw it to our conversation where we, we dig into some of these, uh, these weird, nuanced topics. Um, well, why don't, why don't we start by, you know, could you
2: guys just kind of introduce yourselves and give a general uh, sort of a little background on yourselves and then maybe sort of a summation of uh, the topic you had at, at PAX today?
0: Sure. Uh, my name is Ryan Black. I'm a lawyer at Macmillan LLP in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, I practice in technology law focusing on software companies and a little bit on video game companies as well. Uh, I went to school at the University of Alberta and I live in Vancouver. I'm Tyler Black. I'm a psychiatrist at BC Children's uh, Hospital. Um, I'm I'm an emergency psychiatrist. Uh, My interests are in uh, video games and violence, uh, video game addiction uh, as well as uh, suicide. Um, And uh, and I also uh, work at UBC as an assistant professor. And uh, the topic of our talk was essentially on uh, g- the way that games and gambling are kind of converging upon each other uh, through the use of kind of gambling-like mechanics like chance elements or frequent microtransactions and all those sorts of things that we see in gaming. And my brother focused it on, uh, on, the, on, the, uh, de- uh, on the psychiatric and addiction side of it, how games are addicting and the things that games uh, can and should be doing um, uh, in order to prevent that from happening.
2: So, so that's interesting. I've, I've been meaning actually for a while to write a feature about how I think it's very strange that games use the term addicting as some sort of positive metric. Yes. <laughs> and, I, and I understand the, I understand what, what they mean by that. Right. But in any other sense, like addicting is a horrible thing that should not be strived for. And yet games use that as like highly addicting and they put it on the back of the box. That level of causing problems in someone's life um, So, for example, some of the questions
0: on that sort of criteria are, you know, have you ever failed a homework assignment because you were playing a video game? You know, that's, it it is a good question. They're trying to assess harm, but they're also just asking, you know, what did you skip doing homework for? I mean, if you ran or if you ran a marathon or went and played basketball instead of doing your homework... You could say, yeah, I'm addicted to basketball, you know, using that criteria. So I worry a lot that the, the, the science is looking at gaming from a non-gamer's point of view. Um, because if you ask people, do they meet the criteria? I think, you know, they, they must about 8% of people meet the criteria for Internet addiction. But there's probably a smaller group of that that actually have a problem with it, that is causing major problems in their life. Uh, such that they can 't get work done, they can 't go to school they 're losing all their friends they're losing all their money, they can 't stop if they want to so it 's a smaller percentage than eight percent. So I would you know if I were to guess i'd say le- around 4 to 4, two to four percent substantial enough that you know it needs addressing but probably not as big as some of the research is looking like because they're not defining it very well.
2: So is, so is some of that as a result of just there not being many people that play games, in those professions so when they do the research they don't even know how to necessarily ask the, the right question.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the classic thing is you know I, I review a lot of video game literature and, and sometimes you'll see articles uh, that are published where they take a violent video game and then you read it and it's uh, you know Crash Bandicoot and, and you know versus a non-violent game which is like Mario and separating Crash and Mario in their violence is actually kind of hard to do it's still very cartoony um, and science always lags. It takes a long time to publish something. So I can read an article on the effects of GTA 3 today. You know, published in 2013. We're already on GTA 5 coming out. So I think, the, um, I think the fact that older people tend to be in academic positions and may not understand games, plus how long it takes to publish, we're actually getting a fairly delayed view scientifically and a very inaccurate view right now. And I think as researchers graduate who are gamers, um, it'll become way more nuanced and accurate and sort of from the gamer's
2: perspective. So, in your talk, how much did you... So, I guess let me back up. When I look at things like Zynga and these sort of like, increasingly, as you said, sort of like incorporating gambling mechanics, like, it feels wrong. (laughs) And it feels like a psychological trick rather than people playing something for their own enjoyment. And maybe people are okay with that. People like gambling. But... Like at what point does that start crossing a certain line that you know I, they shouldn't be doing this? And at some point, someone's going to step in, and it's going to go real bad, real yeah. fast.
0: Well, and that's 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 actually more or less the point of, of what we were talking about was that there. I think regulation of some sort is going to be inevitable because there's just enough game companies out there that some are, some of them are going to act more unethically than others, uh, and I think I I do agree that there's a perception that some companies behave. Uh, There's this line that they shouldn't be crossing and that some people feel like they are crossing it. But what I do um, uh, think the government will do is at some point they're going to look at these mechanics and say, we have existing laws that might apply to this, gambling laws, and we might start applying them to game companies. Or if the gambling laws don't quite work, let's come up with laws that actually stop this from happening. Uh, And that's where I think industry has to be really worried. Uh, The gaming industry did a great job with the uh, ESRB in preventing government regulation of, of the content of the games, they basically upfront will self-regulate, you know, will tell you what's in our game so the parents can make informed decisions. I think on the money side of the games, on these particularly for free-to-play uh, small apps that cost, you know, a dollar in the app store but can ring you $100 and $150 a month right. in in-game purchases, they should be disclosing these things up front so that people can make informed decisions about... Because I think that's where the real regulation is going to start. is almost on the consumer protection side of it. I didn't know what I was buying when I bought this game. When I bought my $20 game, I didn't know that to finish the story, I'd need three DLC packs. And in order to complete it with my skill level, I would need to buy five booster packs or something like that. Um, and that's, that's my concern is that regulators will step in and, and do that for them. Uh, and, and they're not going to like... I don't think the game industry is going to like if, game, if a regulator steps in because as my brother was saying, the types of people who pass laws and write laws probably aren't right now the types of people who play a lot of games and really understand the industry. So they might not get where that gray line is that I think gamers inherently feel. I, you know, I didn't really want to spend that money, and I kind of did, and I kind of regret it now. I think that, uh, you know, a, a, a legislator or a lawmaker looking at that is, gonna, is just going to be someone who just sees people spending money on games, and we should stop that. Right? And, and they're not going to see that gray line. I was just going to add, and there are some well-established tricks for getting money out of people that game companies tend to use. We went over some of this, you know, the idea of layering currencies on top of each other. So $5 buys you 10 gems, 10 gems gets you 7 diamonds, 7 diamonds uh, gets you 13 emeralds, and an item costs 5 emeralds. It becomes very hard to figure out how much that thing is actually worth. Um, And it's a trick where our brain just says, okay, well, I bought it, so I might as well spend it. Um, it's a trick, you know, it's designed specifically to make it easier to spend money, um, you know, so there are things that game companies put into the game purely for the purpose of making it easier uh, to spend money, uh, and that's where it becomes a little bit on the unethical side. You're not doing it for fun, you're not doing it for recreation or art, it's not art for art's sake, it's purely because that person has money and you want it. Um, I will say though, with the free-to-play model, um, game companies are investing a lot of money in games without really recouping any of that up front where they recoup it is in those in-game purchases so I certainly understand if you spent five or six million dollars on a game you need people to spend money in the game in order to get your money back and I think the reality though is that there's good ways to do that and there's bad ways to do that I think it always comes down to the value proposition if a gamer feels like I got my good value for my money uh, if I bought something that was valuable to me say it's a vanity item I wanted it to look different than my friends or whatever it is and it's something that I can feel good about I think a lot of people are actually happy with their in-app purchases. What I worry about are the mechanics that make people depart from their money maybe a little bit sooner than they thought they would have. And one of the things we talked about were the things that game companies could do. Uh, The thing that I look for is a little bit of of self-regulation that could be built into games. For example, when you sign up for an account in a free-to-play game, it might ask you how much money are you willing to spend in a month. Uh, And if you hit that limit, it might say, are you sure you want to do that? Or hey, you're halfway to your limit for the month. Uh, that sort of thing would really encourage people to take a check of what they're actually doing while they're in the game as opposed to compulsively spending gems that don't really have an intrinsic value to them, right?
2: So, you know, you, you mentioned the sort of gray area that people that play games kind of know, or, you know, it feels gross or it feels exploitative, but, like, where do you have any sense of maybe where the actual red line is where this would prompt intervention to happen on, on, on perhaps a
1: federal level?
0: Um, I... Th- I think, first of all, it's, it's very clear that uh, in some instances gambling laws might actually already apply to video games, particularly if you're having an element of chance deciding whether you win or lose something, you have some sort of a prize that has value, or maybe even a real world, like I can sell this thing to other people, or the game will let me cash it out, uh, and you have something that I paid in to, in order to getting it. Those are the three elements of a lottery, which is pretty much prohibited in, as far I'm not a US lawyer, but pretty much prohibited in most of uh, the United States and, and uh, in Canada as well. And so with those three elements, I do worry that there's a bright line there that I think companies need to be very careful with letting people buy actual things of value that they can then, like, if, they are, if they're acting as if they can get something valuable that they can turn around and sell to someone else, it's looking awfully lot like gambling to me. Because the whole reason you pay that for that slot machine turn is to hopefully get more money than you put into it. Uh, and if gamers start to look at games as something I'm putting money in so that I hope to get more money out of it, um, that's obviously going to be the sort of thing that a regulator is going to snap right right away their attention is going to be drawn we'll to that. take uh, an index case, you know pol- politics works in a weird way but it'll take some index case of a, a kid spending all of their parents money or someone doing something bad because of a consequence of a game and what will happen is a legislative hammer will come down in response to something that may or may not be an actual problem and in a way that may or may not solve that problem. Um, so I think we're at a level now with free-to-play gaming, with seeing gamers as wallets walking around in the world that you're trying to get money out of uh, where you're basically asking for you know at some point a legislator is going to propose a law to make that illegal or make it regulated and taxed in um, both cases are probably not good for game companies or game development I think, I think the taxing thing might be coming no matter what they do <laughs> <laughs> governments always like to tax
2: because <laughs> I, I, I want to say that uh, Japan has been pretty proactive about addressing yeah. these yeah, issues. And so could you you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, so in in Japan, they actually recently passed a law. Again, I'm not a Japanese lawyer, so I don't know the ins and outs of it too much, but from the gaming press, uh, there was a mechanic in free-to-play, well, free-to-play, but uh, basically monetized games where um, you would buy a booster pack of some sort. It might have a rare card in it. And there was a set of, say, five rare cards. And if you collected all five of those rare cards, they would give you some ultra-super prize. And it was this system called gacha. And uh, this is very addictive in people. If you give people, uh, my brother talks a lot about this in in our talk, but if you give people a random reward, they're far more likely to continue pursuing that reward even though the odds might be stacked against them or even though they've already achieved one of them, they want to get the next one. And it got so bad in Japan, people were so compulsively collecting these ultra rare things. You know, if they say you know a pack costs ten dollars, and there's a one in ten chance of getting your rare card, and you have to collect five, the math actually gets pretty expensive. You you might be paying five thousand or five hundred dollars to a thousand dollars to get those five cards, and so they actually banned it. They banned it's it's a, a ban of compu gacha. So now. You can't give a prize, and my understanding is in Japan gaming, you can't give a prize where you've collected a bunch of rare items in order to get that prize. Uh, and game companies responded, they took those elements right out of the game. Now some people might argue those are compelling aspects of the game that we wanted to do. The Japanese government disagreed and said this is creating addictive, compelling behavior that isn't healthy for our society. Uh, similarly in South Korea, the real money auction house in Diablo as far as I know is actually banned there. Um, and uh, Blizzard intentionally did not, even though obviously South Korea is a huge market for Blizzard, uh, they didn't include the real art, uh, money art auction house, at least at launch, I, I don't know the current state, because of that ban that said you couldn't let people cash out of that game, that would be too destructive uh, behavior. So yes, governments are willing to regulate and I think even in Western societies we may see it happen as they approach, as they normally see a way to make money off of it through taxes and, and that sort of thing, but as they see damage starting to form from it, like my brother said, you know one or two test cases of I think in China there was a story about someone who killed another person over a virtual item that had been stolen from him. Uh, that sort of thing happens in America, and I think you've got con- congressional hearings about it the next day, uh, and then who knows what comes out of that, right? So
2: uh. And it seems games are in a uniquely bad place with this stuff because their entire design history is predicated on being addictive and trying to extract money from you I know, mean made- They're rooted in arcades and we've evolved from there and they've changed but the entire roots of video games are about like trying to get more money out of you You we we,
0: and also we live in a sort of video game negative society you know if you if you say i'm going to the beach to read people will think that's a great hobby to do if you say i'm going to take my ds to the beach people will say don't do that put down your screen and we live in a negative society where the moral panic around video games is still very high um, so it won't take a lot to light that fire and, say, and make the common person, the average person, say, I don't want video games anymore. I think video games are bad. And, uh, and so it, it's, we're really at this dangerous point where video games are so prevalent. I think 98% to 99% of kids play video games. So it's like breathing air. Everybody does it. But most people who are in positions of power don't like it. Uh, so it's it, you know there's there's a there's a real pressure that I think uh, is existing right now in the next few years. I think game companies have to become very ethical. Um, start and entertainment groups and entertainment boards need to start putting down self-regulation.
2: That seems pretty unlikely, right? I mean, the ESRB was born out of uh, you know the video game industry being pinned against the wall and possibly becoming like comics were uh, <laughs> yeah. prior, and so. I mean, as much as you would shout about self-regulation, it seems like they probably wouldn't do it until they realize they don't have a choice, right? I,
0: I, personally, I do think it's a little bit inevitable that it will happen. Uh, but that being said, I think the game industry can look at the ESRB as a resounding success. Um, it's prevented things like uh, the government of California from being able to regulate the sale of video games to minors. You got the Supreme
2: Supreme Court decision that's, right. that's basically the legacy of the ESRB probably reinforcing that.
0: That's exactly right. So it's a huge success story for, for the video game industry, if you ask me. Uh, and the ESRB has a role to play here. I think that there should be a rating system about games in terms of monetization as well. There should be warnings about how much DLC there's going to be in this game and how much money you can spend in here. You know, you might be spending $20 uh, on the actual physical title, but there should be, you know, there's going to be three DLC packs and you could spend up to $60 playing those as well. Um, Giving parents that, deci- that, you know, on the same basis of we want to give our parents decision about the content that goes in their games, I think recognizing that children are probably poor decision makers when it comes to when to spend money or not inside of a game, uh, it probably wouldn't hurt to also take a role in saying how will money be extracted from me while I'm playing this game as well. A, a simple rating system or description of those things would go, I think, a long way in staving off some of those concerns.
2: What do you What do you guys think is likely in the next couple of years Like, do you do you foresee anything right on kind of on the horizon that you suspect might be happening?
0: Uh, it's hard to always estimate these things because law moves really slow. As as was saying, that science is slow. Law is even slower than that. And I, I think it depends a lot on whether there's some banner thing that happens or some uh, super addictive game comes out that everybody's playing. And everybody, you know, the the there's these panic stories on the news about next at eleven. You know. Uh, this video game stole my kid's wallet or something like that. Um, Those are going to be the sorts of things that really dictate the pace of this. But what's really going to be the interesting thing is we're starting to see states, at least in the US, there's three states now that have started to get into um, giving out licenses for online gambling. So we're seeing social game companies uh... being bought by big casino companies and big gaming companies and so the big players in the casino industry are getting into the video game industry and that seems like a
2: bad sign
0: well it just it just shows me that they recognize where the money is they recognize look what look what these video game companies are doing we want a piece of that as well and it's it's a pretty educated guess that they're going to be able to do that but of course with them will come the regulators attention because regulators are on the casino companies obviously all the time they're gonna be watching what these people do. And so I do think that it's gonna come a little bit from the intersection of gambling and gaming, uh, particularly as large gambling companies get into the video game market.
2: Here's a question for you because you've read more of the literature about you know, sort of the intersection of violence and games. How, how do you think that's going to evolve as the visual fidelity of games continues to go forward? Whereas I think that will increasingly make it uncomfortable as, as games are able to depict violence more and more realistically.
0: I mean, I'm giving a talk on Monday on violence and gaming uh, with Ben Kachera from Penny Arcade Report. Um, and uh, it's really interesting that, you know, there's a media narrative that the world is getting more violent, but it's actually not true. Uh, kids are far less violent than they've ever been. Uh, violence among children is at an all-time record low. Uh, and, uh, you know, it goes against this narrative. So there's this narrative out there that, you know, kids are worse, you know, media is worse, all this type of stuff. Games are no doubt way more realistic in their violence. So you know, GTA 5, the violence is way different than GTA 3 and, and even more different than you know, the original Mortal Kombat or something like that. And that's just two decades of video game history. So the fidelity is way up. We're not seeing a change in violence, but again, um, it's not hard now to show a screenshot of a game. And that screenshot is actually rated R. It used to look like something you could show on TV. Look how much pixelated blood there is. Now it's just a gory image. Um, you can't even show it on TV so so it's gonna help that enforce that narrative that these are destructive things bad things Realism is a good thing in games. It's an immersive thing uh, Kids can tell the difference between games and imagination So I'm, I'm not worried too much about you know that being the main problem with the immersiveness But it's certainly from the narrative point of view uh, when you see a decapitated body in COD black
2: ops or something It's pretty decapitated, <laughs> you know and it's so. Sorry, and it's hard to explain that to anyone that doesn't play games and doesn't have that sense of, you know, it reinforces the narrative, just like, ah, those, those games with their violence, and you know, and it, if they played it, they would have a better sense of it, but they're not going to play it, so it just reinforces a, a pre-existing bias. We've
0: seen the pure violent game sort of fade away. Like, I think Manhunt 2 was kind of the peak of where it was just violence and killing for violence's sake, and it was a turn-off to gamers. Gamers didn't like that game. Uh, the industry didn't like that game. It was given an Ale rating, which made it sell like poison. Um, and it it really it failed immensely as a game and this is from a company that was building its name on we're pushing the boundaries here they found a boundary and they backed away from it because it wasn't successful Um, and and it's so much more nuanced in Call of Duty yes there's decapitations but there's also cooperative gameplay there's whole roles for people to be purely supportive roles and things like that and and so the idea that there's just a bad video game and there's good video games is really antiquated. I think you can do very social things in Call of Duty and you can do very antisocial things in Minecraft. Um, it's not like there's good games and bad games. I think it's very nuanced now and it's so gray that I think the average person is just going to look at the realism or look at a screenshot and say, I don't like this. So you're, you're totally right about that.
2: Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, you so much for your time, guys. Thank yeah, you're welcome. welcome. Thanks. Great.